With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And Virginia fans are like, man, we're just happy to be here. Like, we didn't even think we would be here. Like, and, and I didn't even, I thought of this part of my own. Like, they've lost to a 16. You can't hurt them. You know? <laughs> they're already dead. It's like Lazarus after, you know. Right. Like, and what could you possibly say to Lazarus, right? Yeah. They lost to 16 and they won a title. Like, you can't hurt them now. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I am Lauren Brownlow. And naturally, since this is an NCAA tournament podcast, I'm going to have someone on from who primarily covers the team who did not make it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, It's Mark Ennis. And I have Mark on uh, from 93.9 The Ville in Louisville and just really, I would say, an internet legend dating back a long time. I know that sounds bad. Right, like internet legend, but it's not like I've I've known Mark since far before Louisville joined the ACC, um, and most of us who have been around Twitter for any length of time probably yeah. have some awareness <laughs> of Mark. <laughs> um, and Mark follows everybody um, yeah. across the league, much to his. And I love how Louisville fans are, are some of my favorites because y'all, like Louisville people, were just happy to be on board you know with the ACC um they're not like some of the others who were more uh a little more reticent to join I think Louisville was very happy to be here and they've always just kind of jumped right in with all things Joe ACC although maybe I'm misreading that no I I think Louisville fans have I in fact I can't really think of anything for instance like that the ACC as a league does but Louisville fans are like y'all are trying to screw us which, you know, I think a lot of folks around the ACC, fan bases around the ACC feel. Uh, so, no, I, I think you're totally right uh, about that. And I just assume that you picked me because, you know, I don't have anything else to do. now. That we'll really <laughs> well, I mean, everybody has something to do. And I guess they didn't want to do the NIT. Or are they in the NIT? They are not. They would have been. They would, I suppose they would have been a one seed in the NIT, but they made the decision to, to not play in it. And that's its own uh, discussion. Yeah. But I, you know, look, they've had one of the worst um, COVID years of anybody. Oh, uh, pu- very publicly, and I think that they, uh, the idea of sort of uh, extra holding up even more to go play in what is it, Dallas uh, for the NIT? I just think it just didn't, uh, it didn't appeal to them. It was sort of let's hope we can make the tournament. Didn't make it. All right, let's just that's enough for now. Like a lot of you know, like Virginia Tech football did that this year. I think it's a, analogous yep. to that. It's a little bit. I think I, you know, I remember some people saying. Um, oh, I don't think all the ACC teams will play in the ACC tournament and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, y'all, this isn't like the bowl game. You know, this is right after the regular season. And I'm sure that the league has impressed upon them the importance of trying to play in this event. Like, I really don't think, I I was like, maybe Boston College, maybe. And that's it. And not even Boston College gets it. So, you know, when I'm right, I'm right. It's not all yeah, the the NIT is much more analogous to a bowl game yes. than the ACC tournament. Totally, yeah, it is. I, I think. I guess maybe the only 
small difference is just as a chance to keep playing. And certainly when you have some inexperienced guys that you love to get some reps to, I could see that. But I also understand from Louisville's perspective specifically, like why, and as opposed, especially to a team like an NC State, you know, who um, is, they were playing well until their last game against Syracuse. You know, they've been playing well in the season. They've got a lot of young guys that could really benefit from it. And we spent most of Kevin Keith's NIT press conference uh, talking about what kind of in and out order he should, he, he should make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I'll tell you what though, that's interesting though, because for, you know, somebody that is more established at a place with perhaps lower, at least somewhat lower expectations, uh, based on recent recent results, it certainly doesn't seem like people are particularly combative with Kevin Keats, uh, okay. or or more negative with Kevin Keats. Like I, it feels like Chris Mack is in a little bit more tense situation, even than Kevin Keats at, at State, where people are famously a little wired tightly. Yeah, and and I think the only time that things got a little dicey this year is when he didn't play DJ Funderburg for like the last seven or eight minutes of a tight Virginia game at home, and when he was asked about it, he kind of was basically like, I'm the coach and I know what I'm doing. And it was a little more tersely worded than that. But Kevin is very, is very kind to at least us media folks. Um, he's very nice and he's open and honest and um, doesn't usually bristle at a question, you know? Um, and to be fair to us too, we're used to covering Roy and Coach K who, you know, can at times be a little more, uh, sensitive to some of the lines of questioning than 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 Coach Keith. So, <laughs> so it's nice to it's always nice to have someone who has a some good humor. Um, but I, but it's not like not to, to belabor this too much. But it's not like NC State fans have a reputation. Oh, oh. for for being level headed. But for I don't sense a lot of real dissatisfaction with him. Maybe because of demeanor matters in this in this case. Well, I think. There's a mix. Um, I think that there are some state fans who um, feel like it's here. I think what was the five for him and, and wanted a little better. And when they were losing more, which was understandable, there was some pushback about, you know, what what is his feeling really and blah, blah, blah. But I think most rational state fans understand that, like, he got dealt a bad hand this year. It's the COVID year. Let's, you know, next year, I think, going to tell us a lot more about who Kevin Keith is than this year. So. And even so, this year he still had a really impressive closing to the season and got yeah. those guys to buy in. And I think that if it, if anybody was still doubting, I think that helped turn turn some of them back around and say, okay, I think I can see a future here. You know. Um, well, there's, so listen, there's something there's something to be said for that uh, uh, by way of comparison. I think if there's anything that's really hurting, you know, Chris Mack here taking into account everything that he has you know sort of inherited and all of that sort of thing i understand like i'm not unsympathetic to all that but it is having a team do the opposite of what you're talking about Louisville played under chris mack has played pretty well in the non-conference uh and has usually gotten off to a pretty pretty good start in acc play and it has been the fading in late february and early march now three straight years yeah uh, you know for different reasons for different things but it's it's become a trend now that he sends you off into the offseason both underachieving and on kind of a sour note. Uh, and that's that's a bad place to be. Oh, absolutely. And I, I you know, if Louisville was in a tough spot, the ACC tournament, having to beat a team that knew it had to win to stay alive in Duke and you knew they were going to play better. 
And I don't necessarily subscribe to the adage of like, it's hard to beat a team three times. I think if you're better than a team, it's really not that hard to beat them as many times as you want, really. Um, (laughs) And I don't think it's like, oh, the third time, that's the one that gets you. Like, I mean, I, I just don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. But obviously anything can happen when teams are relatively, you know, evenly matched or have some good players and Duke was able to come out on top. I have to tell you, I went to the AC tournament. It's the first sporting event I've covered in person in a year. And watching Carly Jones in person was illuminating. Um, and I feel like if more ACC writers had watched Carly in person, he might have gotten a little bit more love when it comes to awards. But it's just, I mean, most of us aren't covering games in person. It, it's, a, it's a far different experience, though, to watch him in person than on, on television. Yeah, he really did uh, play uh, joyfully, I thought, really, like the whole year uh, and strained at a level that really made him stand out even among the team. And I think, you know, there uh, there was a way, there were lots of ways for Louisville to lose to Duke that would not have set people off. Uh, I think what what set people off locally was the impression you got watching that game. Like if, if you had a black and white TV, didn't know who was who, like I think it, it felt pretty obvious which team was sort of playing for its tournament life and which wasn't. Right. And, and, and that's, that's the thing I think Chris Mack's going to have to spend a whole offseason soul-searching sort of how that happens and, and making sure it doesn't happen either with rosters and coaches and we'll see. But it was the fact that Duke just looked desperate to play and Louisville right. didn't. And Louisville, Louisville was not as secure as they seemed like they were. On the yeah, that, that's what was weird. I... I... I don't know that I assumed they would make it, but I definitely thought that they would be in better shape than, than they ended up being in. I mean, all the talk when Georgetown won was that they were stealing a bid from Syracuse, which I think, you know, I didn't necessarily think was true either. Um, but I didn't know that it would be Louisville's bid <laughs> that they were, that they were, that they were uh, stealing. And, and it's just. I, I think, I think two things really worked against Louisville. And, you know, eventually, like, we don't learn really what the committee thinks. And there, there are elements of it, I think, that they that change from year to year based on just the actual humans that are in there. Uh, and, we can, you know, this might be a good jumping off point here. It's obvious by the way ACC teams were seated, they didn't think any of them were good. No. Uh, and, and, and Louisville, I think, was banking on having a really, really resounding win over Virginia Tech, a resounding win over Georgia Tech, and the way they finished the year, like, those would matter more than they did, and they didn't. Uh, and then I think Mitch Barnhart, the the uh, selection committee chair, saying because post COVID results varied so much, we basically just didn't factor COVID in at all, which I, is totally reasonable. It really means that Louisville went into the selection committee now evaluating having just lost by forty five. COVID didn't matter when they played North Carolina. They lost by thirty seven to Wisconsin. COVID didn't matter, uh, and so I think Louisville fans were hoping their ACC wins mattered a little more and that COVID would provide some sort of discount to just how bad those two losses uh, hurt and looked. And, and neither of those turned out to be true. Yeah, I, I found that all a little frustrating, to be honest. The fact that COVID wasn't factored in more. Um, partially because, like, you know, they'll factor in an injury, yeah. you know, during normal seasons and be like, oh, well, they lost this game without X players. So I don't know why it would be super different. Because the other thing too is what you what you have done is you've disincentivized teams from like being honest about things like that, which I also don't like. <laughs> like so so what should Louisville have had a longer pause then, you know, just to make sure they were ready to play? Like I, 
it, like that's what some people accuse Virginia Tech of doing, for instance. I don't love that either, by the way. But <laughs> oh, at the end of the year, yeah, no, I I hear you on that. Yeah, that's a good. That's actually kind of a good point. The more sort of the moral hazard of not rewarding honesty, right? Uh, cre- creating the opposite incentive. I hear you on that. That's a good point. Right. Or sort of, you know, fudging your contact tracing or whatever. I mean, it wouldn't be that difficult to just be like, well, we can go ahead and keep playing and then putting other teams in danger, like for them to do the right thing and then to come back as soon as they could, even if it wasn't always ideal, like that's what hurt them in the end. And and I just think that kind of sucks. I mean, granted, they had plenty of chances. Like maybe if they don't lose that Miami game, they're in, you know. Miami yeah, that, well, this is the agony uh, <laughs> of, of a year for Louisville like this where – you know, uh, Barnhart made it clear, like before Georgetown and Oregon State did what they did, Louisville was going to be one of the last teams in. I think they probably thought they were a little better uh, than that. Uh, but any one of, any one thing could have gone differently if they right. don't just start so slowly against Clemson, if they don't lose that Miami game. And then you factor in also, you know, the, Syracuse gets in over them. They had a home and home with Syracuse this year where both teams traveled to the other team's site only to have the game canceled day of and Virginia Tech. So Louisville not only didn't uh, they didn't win any, they didn't get their chances to play Syracuse, who they ended up sort of being head to head with for a spot. And that Virginia Tech on the road game uh, on the road, a game at the end that they didn't get because of what you were just talking about with Virginia Tech being very conservative. They didn't get that game either. Uh, so everyone, I think sort of lost by everyone's COVID handling either opportunities or or actual sort of you know, the team sort of being uh, shorthanded by it. So uh, they really have themselves to blame, though, because I think if they beat yeah. Duke in that last game, they make it. Yeah, I do, too. Um, certainly a team that was hurt by some of the games they couldn't play is a team like a Virginia Tech. Although, you know, because I, I struggled with whether or not to rank them at the end of the year, at, you yeah. know, in my final poll. And ultimately I did because I feel like, look, I don't have a crystal ball to know what would have happened if they would played their full season. But there were so, and no offense to Mike Young, and honestly, I didn't look at this that closely either when I voted for Co- Coach of the Year. Um, so, you know, my fault as well. But like, they didn't play so many of the top teams in the league. It's again not blaming anyone. It's just, you know, when you look at what some other coaches were able to accomplish, like it's it, and 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 that's that's what hurt Virginia Tech. I mean, they they did most of their damage against the bottom half of the league. Um, and they end up with a 10 and then they put out a video on their social media of like, thanks for doubting us or something, which is weird. <laughs> well, and it's funny because it's a league that basically was a, a the entire league was the bottom half of the league, <laughs> except for Virginia and Florida state. I mean, it's in well, what, in, in what year could, I would, could it has a fat Tech, middle. The, the league was a big fat middle to be a honest, downward right? sloping middle. Like, sure, but like Boston college and Miami, I think it's, fair to say and and wait for it right i think those three teams you could certainly make the case are noticeably worse than everybody else oh that's true that's true but, but like a notre dame could beat anybody on a given night anybody um and, and they're they suffered from a tough schedule pit before they were decimated you know could beat anybody so i think the middle of the league was certainly stronger um i think it was a oh, how about this that i think it was a down year for the middle like the okay. middle of the ACC really wasn't even like as good as the normal middle to the point yeah. that again, Georgia tech wins, like they beat Florida state this year. Uh, they win the ACC tournament uh, and they are a nine. Oh, they're a nine seed. I was they, livid at that. And I was livid for Loyola as well. 
Um, well, now, of course, you know, now it doesn't matter uh, nearly as much with, with Moses Wright being out. But I know. that's like the encapsulation to me of uh, if, if I had to like, give you like, a, a Twitter size summary of what the selection committee ultimately thought about the ACC. And I'm not even saying that it's that it's wrong. Uh, well, but- I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I kind of am. And that's just because, like, if you look at some of the teams, like Georgia Tech has some really good wins. Like, I yeah. know they did some bad stuff at the beginning of the year. I know. I remember because I was furious at them. I was like, what are you doing? But, you know, Georgia State and Mercer losses, that hurt them. But those were also, like, at the beginning of the year, you know? And they've it's been a long time since then. And they've beaten some really good teams in the meantime. They've gotten some really good wins. I mean, they won the ACC tournament. Like, I don't know what... I certainly don't think they deserved a, a nine. I was flabbergasted when I saw that. I, I thought they'd be at like a seven, honestly. Yeah, I, well, and this certainly seems to be a year uh, where the committee really didn't follow up. And I guess, you know, pandemic basketball is justifies this, but it certainly didn't follow maybe a lot of the norms Right. That we would normally uh, because they did, but they really, it definitely seems like it was an explicit evaluation of the ACC because they did this to everybody. You know, right. nobody above a four seed Virginia Tech's what a 10. Uh, Louisville didn't even get in uh, when you, and you compare some of their resume to, to Drake or some others, you probably could have made a better case for them. Syracuse did get in, but barely uh, it's, they didn't, they didn't think much of, of any of them. Yeah, I think you're not wrong about the middle thing, but I also think the league sort of suffered from not having as good of a, they didn't have a dominant team, in my opinion. It seemed like they did for a while, but I think we've seen in, you know, Florida State yeah. has got to be mortal. Virginia was is mortal, you know? Yeah. And I think not having one of those types of teams, too, really hurt them. Um, Clemson, I think, was seated appropriately. That's what, you know, I think Clemson and probably, obviously, Virginia for the most part, and then Carolina. I think those are probably seated appropriately, those, those three teams. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, uh, it's a good, I think, in their seating, uh, they win the ACC tournament. And I, it really does seem like the, the committee, they win the ACC tournament. And the committee basically was like, well, that's really a reflection on the ACC and not really that Georgia Tech is really good. Like I feel like that's how they seeded Tech. Like, oh, you won the yeah. AC tournament. AC must not be very good. Uh, and then everyone sort of suffered uh, from that. But yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. think Florida State or Virginia deserved a higher seeds. I just feel like some yeah. of the teams below them did. Right. Like I actually, actually, now that I'm, I'm reminded, Clemson's a seven, and I think that's unfair based on what Clemson's accomplished this year. Same. Um, I, that's the thing, and I, I looked at the final poll vote. Um, and, and I think it's bled over some into that as well in terms of, look, the Big Ten has earned where it is right now, okay? Yeah. The, the Big 12 to a lesser extent thing. But I, I'm sorry. Look at who Clemson has beaten. Like, look at the wins they have, even out of conference, especially out of conference, in fact. You know? Like, for them to not get more credit for that. Like, they got, like, four votes in the final poll. I was stunned by that, to be honest. Like, I was like, yeah. Why? I saw a number of people sort of, uh, you know, when when some of the more reputable bracketologists were were projecting Clemson as low as like a, a ten, yeah, I saw. You know, uh, several people responding like, "Look, in a normal year, this kind of a similar analogous profile, they're like a six. Uh, it, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, uh, but I, I, I think I think they're going to win. I think they're going to advance uh, a little bit, and I think they'll actually have a chance against Houston too. That'll be an interesting game." 
Yeah, Houston's been a weird team for me to evaluate fairly all year, too, because I know they can't help their league, and I know that they're a really good team. Yeah, there's no three seed that I, I'm looking at that I would say, yeah, Virginia or Florida State deserves it over them. That's, that's definitely true. But I also think, like, and again, this isn't me saying the Big Ten isn't good, but I also don't necessarily think, like, for instance, you know, uh, a, like a Texas Tech, did they have to be in the final poll? Why? Yeah. You know, they have 10 losses and like, okay, they're all good losses. So what? Like they have a couple good wins. Clemson has more, you know, I mean, Ohio state, Ohio state was almost like in like impenetrable. Like they just kept losing down the stretch, but because it was to good teams, nobody in right. or anything, <laughs> they, they never, they never suffered at all. They never dropped a seed line in anybody's evaluations well, or anything. Yeah, they had a good big tournament, but right. And they were close to games too. So that helps always, you know, if you get blown out, you know, obviously, but, Texas Tech all year, I think that was a team I always rated lower than most people um, in my poll because I'm like, look, I know they have these good losses, but they don't have that much in the way of good wins. So, like, you know, it's not like Kansas, which had way more in the way of good wins. And then, uh, you know, Texas Tech just had, like, a ton of good losses. I'm like, okay, very college football energy here. That's a great point and a great way of saying it. And, man, I I don't know. I've asked this. I've said this with some of the ACC Network folks that come on the show with us, too. Like It it just does feel like to me also that some – and I don't even know if you can really help it, but some of the evaluation of the ACC overall uh, was just that the wrong teams were good. Like, it's almost like I think there are some people who are like, yeah. oh, Duke and, Duke and Carolina uh, aren't that good, and Virginia's not quite as good as usual. Well, then the leagues, it just can't be good. And, and it's, you know, it, people have uh, a lo- very slow on the uptake with Florida State, I think, being an elite team. And, the, you know, them not getting a tournament last year, I think, helped uh, with that. But it just seems like if Duke and Carolina aren't good, then people are just going to assume the league is not good. When other teams, I mean, Villa, uh, Virginia Tech handled Villanova when they were close to full strength earlier this year. Not the not yep. this version here at the end. You know, there were there were games like that this year uh, that the subjective element of what you thought of the ACC just seemed to come up maybe a little bit too much. By the way, I just like shout out to Miami. They had an awful season, but they ruined Clemson. Yes. Duke. Yeah. I I think Duke's Duke certainly is way more in the tournament conversation. If if they had lost that game and NC state. Um, I think that loss was one. And NC state was, was a team that was also hurt really badly by COVID cancellations, both of their, you know, their own issues and then other teams issues. Um, they there were, are, you know, there are there are two teams I thought in the league that are in the same position for different reasons that did the same thing. I thought that uh, Miami for years now, basically since the FBI stuff that that ensnared Larinaga early on, uh, has just not been able to stay healthy or really develop a normal rotation, and they've basically been sort of getting by playing slow down ball, zone only to stay out of foul trouble, all that stuff, and they still routinely win games like we're talking about. Uh, but they cannot seem to sort of get their footing and get back to being a postseason team and being good because I think Jim Laranega is fantastic. And Literally then Mike, Mike Gray and Notre Dame. We're against like the teams trying to make the tournament. Yeah. And, and, two, and all three did not. <laughs> and they were a difficult out in the ACC tournament. So right yeah. to the very end. Uh, at this, and, and then at the same – Notre Dame is the exact same thing. Notre Dame, yeah. uh, you know, they, they – 
beat Florida State at the very end of the year, but it's been multiple years, you know, in a row where and they, they had the epic collapse or the the, the win in, in the tournament. You know, almost had the getting blown out by Wake Forest. They rally, they win that game. You know, like they don't quit, but they also don't sort of improve and break through. And I I wonder how much longer. I mean, God knows. I hope Jordan Grenet doesn't listen and hear that I'm uh, <laughs> even suggesting uh, uh, that that Mike Brady on the hot seat or anything. I'm not. Well, I'm not Jordan. I think um, Mike himself, but I think acknowledged that before even the Florida State game, which I thought was really refreshing to see a coach do, because most coaches would not react well to being asked about a chance to fire them. Um, and he said, like, I didn't coach well in that game. He's talking about the NC State game. NC State blew them out on their home court. And obviously they responded really well. And then, yeah, the weight game was like, because I was doing color analysis on that remotely for radio. And I'm like, what are y'all doing right now? Like they just were not playing, you know, Notre Dame basketball on the offensive end for, for a while. But yeah, Bray, he, he said he's coaching till 25. That's what he plans to do. Um, and we'll see, like, it, it's one of those types of schools that obviously we understand football is a little more important to that fan base. And, you know, he's just so synonymous with Notre Dame basketball. And like you said, he's still a good coach. Like yeah. over, overall things might be getting stale, but certainly he knows what he's doing. They've got a, a transfer I know they really like from Yale Yeah, um, that's going to be in next year. And I think he understands, too, that this year is important for him and whether or not he'll be able to finish out, you know, until 25. So we'll see. Oh, that would break my heart. I love Mike Gray. But I get it. I get it, though. You know, it, sometimes it gets stale, you know? I mean, we can, I think we can, you and I are both people who appreciate a, above average level appreciation of non-bottom line people. In sports, yeah, uh, you know, I hated enduring, you know, bringing Bob Ruccino back. Well, he wins. Well, I don't care about just that. Uh, Mike Bray's the opposite end of that spectrum, uh, and but even even being people who understand that things beyond just bare winning matter, eventually it does matter. Right, it does e- everywhere too. Um, yeah, because you know, I think I was going to say I think Brad Brownell at times has gotten the benefit of of a little bit of that football school energy, but I also know from what I hear from my Clemson people that Dabo and he are very close, and Dabo has openly advocated for him on more than one occasion, which is cool. Well, that certainly can't hurt. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's that's cool of Dabo to do because he certainly does not have to care about that in any way. And I thought it was cool to hear that Dabo and Amir Sims are good friends and talk a lot. Um, that was a story I saw come out yesterday. Although I did jokingly message a friend of mine and say, like, I wonder if Brownell's rolling his eyes a little. Like, we're in the tournament and they're still talking about Dabo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every coach, no matter how much they try, by the way, uh, has some of that in them. Yeah. Every coach. Ask Mac every Brown coach. from his first stint at UNC. Um he was mad that reporters were covering a Final Four one time instead of spring practice or something like that. And it's like, dude. Oh, Charlie Strong very famously did that. Oh, my God. Very, uh, Charlie Strong, when Louisville and Kentucky were in the Final Four in 2012 and played each other, uh, you know, Louisville had spring practice and, you know, there was a reporter or two there. And he very famously complained. And about a year at Louisville, by the way, you know, uh, complained that uh, the, the Courier Journal didn't send anybody. And it was very funny because he was like, send a junior reporter. Like, buddy. Uh, what? What? No, ain't nobody got junior reporters. What year no. is it, Charlie? Come on. They have like summer interns, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no jun- there's no such thing. Junior no. reporters are now like hired as full time beat reporters. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
I mean, uh, Lord knows I've seen it. I've seen people pretty much fresh out of college hired to take on challenging beats just around here and really have to grow into the job. Um, oh, I, I remember that's a lion's then. Wow. It is. It is. I yeah. mean, I, like Jonathan Alexander comes to mind from the news and server. He's now covering the Panthers. Uh, Laura Keeley was hired for us, you know, pretty young out of school for Duke. Oh, I miss her um, being on beats down there. I know. I love Laura. Uh, shout out to her. I'm sure she's probably not listening because she's doing more important things like lawyering for civil rights. Um, which is awesome. Or she's you know, my favorite, my favorite memory of her was like her alone, not making Jana's first team all ACC the <laughs> following year. And the, the vich, just the eruption of uh, just volcanic spew. It was like peak FSU Twitter when they still had pride, you know, and, and they just killing her. And her rationale was like, listen, we don't know what's going to happen with this guy. He might blow up. He's in trouble. Bad off season. She was had a lot of turnover. Or, totally no. right. She was totally right. Yeah, yeah. She was a little right. Well, a lot right, but you know. Yeah. Uh yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's um who knows what's gonna happen at the football schools, but oh the bracket, right. Yeah, I'm very I'm very good at podcasting. Um, you know, it's funny. So looking at Virginia and it's funny, talking to Virginia Vans Little on Twitter, I get the sense and I understand why, because of like what happened at the HP tournament and how tenuous this whole thing was. They're just because I'm like, ooh, I don't love that Ohio matchup for them, right? And I, and I actually love UCSB against Creighton um, in that first match in the five twelve, you know, to meet them. And Virginia fans are like, man, we're just happy to be here. Like we didn't even think we would be here. Like, and and I didn't even I thought of this part on my own. Like they've lost to a sixteen. You can't hurt them, you know. <laughs> They're already dead. It's like Lazarus after you know. Right. Like, and what could you possibly say to Lazarus? Right. Yeah. They lost a 16 and they won a title. Like you can't hurt them now. You know, they understand they're not winning the title. Like if they made it to the, they, one of them said, if we make it to the sec- second weekend, I'll be giddy. And I get it. I, can I bring up one thing though? Just to, and I don't know if, if the COVID year stuff will sort of carry over. And obviously, you know, they have their own, their own issues, but you know, they have an elite eight and Tony has the title and every other year, their NCAA tournament results are not great. Oh, for sure. And and I do wonder if, like, let's just say they are whatever degree of strength they have. If Jason Preston in Ohio uh, beat them, like, mm. are, is is there going to be a detectable pulse in the Tony Bennett style? Really doesn't work that great in March unless he has DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. There might be, but you know, for me, it's like, uh, especially considering I think like they they're not even going until. That we're recording this on a Friday, Friday, right? I think some of them are going today. One person's going, yeah, Thursday or Friday. Like, they couldn't even practice until today. I think today's the day they can practice, which is Thursday when they're recording this. So, like, yeah. I'm going to kind of give them a pass <laughs> um, on this year anyway. Um, I did not give them a pass for UMBC, by the way. I did not. Um, that was bad. You can't do that. And, and I want to be clear, just like I yeah. propose the question. I don't, I think that would be ridiculous because no, I think there's but- you're right. But people do that. Well, I've lived here through. Like, if you think it's impossible that that could happen, that Tony oh. Bennett would suddenly find himself labeled, relabeled something. I, you know, Rick Pitino revived Kentucky, won a championship in 96. His team uh, won it again in 98 uh, under Tubby Smith. That was his team. And he won a title or he went to a final four almost immediately, you know, with Louisville in 2004 or five. And the following, they went to an NIT and they lost two times in the first round the next couple of years. 
Then they made an elite eight and people were like, he can't win in the postseason anymore. Like, the, like all of a sudden Rick, who has a stellar NCAA tournament record up until 20, what, 14, he'd never even lost in the sweet 16. That's how good it was. Uh, like I did, that was the first year, 2012. I started doing postgame radio here. And like people, we were getting calls, like the games passed him by. He, he can't do it anymore because of how 10 and 11 had gone. Uh, and, and it's crazy how quickly that stuff can be revived uh, yeah. if there are maybe external pressures. And I think Tony doesn't have that. So that's good. Uh, Rick was dealing with the fact that Kentucky would just hired Cal and all that. You and, and, and you know what, too? Like, uh, the, the one coach who avoids all of this, and I feel like not complete, I don't know. It's a weird, Tom is though. He avoids mm-hmm. this by going on March runs constantly. But I joke all the time. I'm like, well, they don't call him Mr. April, do they? You know? And they don't because the thing is, they don't have a title since 2000. They don't. What? And not only, uh, Lauren, not only do they not have a title since 2000, they routinely overachieve to the Final Four only right. to get their heads kicked in in the Final Four. And by the way, the Michigan State thing, I bring that up at least in part because, like, and Virginia fans hate this, but they know it's, they, they search their hearts, they know it's true. They, it's like this, this thing is they always, in, in years where they should have won, arguably, they got matched up with them and they always knew what was going to happen because that's what Michigan State does. And it's like, oh, great. And then Syracuse as well. One year where Syracuse did their dumb thing where they were like mediocre all year and all of a sudden went on a run, right? Like, yeah. it's, they know, like... 2016 they, is the ultimate example. Right. So, like, plenty of teams have been victims of that kind of a, of a silly run. And, like, Izzo, I think, benefits off of that so much. And I think if he were almost any other coach that hadn't won a title in 21 years, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here like, oh, yeah, he's amazing. He's a genius. And I think he's a really good coach. Don't get me wrong. This isn't me saying he's a bad coach. I'm just saying, like, other coaches would have been treated far more harshly. Well, you're, what you're saying is, of course, he's a great coach. The unfair thing that does happen to coaches doesn't even happen to him. It, it, right. it would be unfair, but we see it often. I was saying what happened with Rick around here was unfair. It doesn't happen to him. You're totally Totally right. It, you know, if anything, it really highlights the fact that in college basketball, a Final Four is a mini title. Like just getting to a Final Four is there's a there's a degree of like, like in wrestling, it's like the Intercontinental Championship. Like it's something. Yeah. It really matters. Uh, you know, uh, locally, just to use a, an analogous example, you know, Louisville. No one thought they belonged anywhere near the Final Four in 2012. They made the Final Four. They lost to Kentucky in the Final Four. People were not sad. It's wild. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, and it's just it's 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 crazy, and you know, it's a larger discussion. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but at the same time, I do think it's interesting. I was having this chat with with media members, obviously through uh, through math in the media room, um, which is so nice to be in again. <laughs> I miss it. Uh, so it was it was really nice, and it was so. You want, here, you want to know how much I miss it? I, and this is the God's honest <laughs> truth. Our friend Caroline Darney. Uh, I got to the first day of the ACC tournament, you know, over a year ago now. And it's the first time I met her in person. Big hug. She's the last non-family member I've hugged in a year. Wow. No, I did. I did remember because her birthday happened to be the day where everything got shut down. Yeah. And uh, she dropped me off at the ACC tournament. I thought it was at the shuttle, but no, she took me to the tournament itself. Um, And because the shuttle went back to my hotel anyway, so it was whatever. And she dropped me off herself and we, I don't remember if we hugged or not and said goodbye. And I haven't seen her since and it sucks. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's 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 that's crazy though. That's the last person, and 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 yeah, I obviously didn't hug anyone when I was there, but it was still just nice to have in person conversations with folks. And we were talking about the fact that who is a, a voice in national college basketball that is almost universally respected and trusted. And I don't know that I know who that is. Are we talking involved in the sport or media? Media. Uh, Billis, I guess. Maybe, but I think there's still an element of people who think he's a little much, you know? Um, Universally respected. Goodness. Uh, it, I mean, with is Matt Norlander from CBS. Um, yeah, because I think, you're, well, yeah, it would have to be probably Ken Palm. I mean, there are, there are Ooh, people who don't like Ken Palm. Yeah. Ken Palm's probably a good example. Yeah, I, and, and but he even is very like this is I'm data driven, you know, like that. Yeah, you don't really like Ken Pomeroy. I think a lot of us assume in college basketball nowadays, even if we're in media, that sometimes when it comes to national media putting certain things out, whether it's like takes about a certain coach or whatever, that there's an agenda, right? Oh, I definitely think college basketball media, national media, not attached to a specific team, really, right, is extremely catty. Yes. And I just thought that was interesting. And I don't want to get too inside baseball because I know a significant portion you do not care about this, but it was a wild <laughs> conversation for us to have of like, who is that person? And I don't know that we know who that is. Um, yeah, like a I, national, a national. There was a lot of pushback hmm. to um, Jeff Goodman um, revealing that Duke's COVID positive was a walk-on because Duke only has two walk-ons. Um, yeah, it, it does seem like uh, with college basketball, national media, uh, that there it's, it's much more obvious, like who talks to who. Right. Uh, and like what message people want to disseminate. Yeah. Right? Well, for instance, yeah, you know, and I, John Rothstein is his own thing. <laughs> and that's uh, the thing. He's kind of a caricature. Like he, I think people yeah. like don't think he's nefarious, but he's just kind of a caricature. But it does seem like it does seem like you can tell when he's saying something that a coach would say. Yeah, I didn't love how Pollyanna she was about COVID the whole time. Look, it's only X percentage that were shut down of programs. It's like, uh, okay. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. And I wonder if it's contributed some to the general, you know, lack of interest in, in college basketball this year compared to football. I mean, all sports interest is down because of the pandemic and everything that's going on in our country not just the pandemic, but I also, I wonder if that's contributed some, because I don't even know who that person is for me. I think Norlander comes to closest, but I, I have had the benefit of like interacting with Norlander in person some and and knowing that he's, you know, good dude. um, Well, there, I think that there are, there aren't that many national college basketball media people that are known to people who primarily care about something else. Like college basketball is just so niche period. And college um, football, I feel like you're better national. off maybe trying yeah. to. Play. No, go ahead. Yeah, they're yeah, national. So people, and I think, and I think with, you're much more likely to have a person who's just like a broadly national sports media person be yeah. universally liked by people in college basketball. And if I had to pick one there, I'd say Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. And he knows his college basketball. As but well. he's not college basketball media, but by college basketball people, everyone loves him. Yep, no, that's true. I think for the most part, that's that. Yeah, I don't know anybody that doesn't like him for sure. But yeah, like people who break news, though. Yeah, there's always this sense of like, what's what's their angle? You know that I don't. I don't think we do that with college football as much. Everyone's affiliated. Right. Yeah, right. I agree. 
So it's an interesting, it's an interesting phenomenon. But yeah, I mean, Virginia, who knows what will happen with them. I think they're just happy to be here. But you're right. The hot cake machine might get cranked up for them. But at this point, Tony Bennett will probably just be like, whatever, I've got my national title and I'll hope for the best next year. And that'll be that, <laughs> you know, which I get. Um, but why is Jay Huff not higher on draft boards? That's baffling to me. It's, I mean, yeah, he can do all of like the emerging things that you want your big man to do. Yeah. Uh, it, it, at the next level, it, it must be just sort of looking at him physically. He certainly seems like kind of a mismatch with a Giannis or Anthony Davis or somebody. Right, but right. Maybe. Did. I mean, Anthony Davis yeah. looked like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird to me. I'm like, like, and to see like, even like a Matthew Hurt further down draft boards than I would have thought. I mean, that's a dude that can, maybe it's his defense for Hurt's case. I can see it a little more there, but like that dude can shoot threes. He can post up. He can score from all over the court. <laughs> well, and, and I think Jay Huff is, I have fun with Luke Hancock about this all the time, deceptively quick, you know, all that uh, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, but he is, like, he is that. He, uh, because he looks like he was the uh, the lead singer for the Spin Doctors, he, <laughs> it does not matter what he does. He doesn't look top end athletic, but he is. And he's mm-hmm. a very skilled basketball player. Yeah, maybe he'll test out better, but that's been a baffling thing to me. And then, and then uh, to see, I guess, Dayron Sharp for North Carolina, who I love his game, but at the same time, like he half the time will miss point blank layups, and he still has a lot of growing to do. And apparently, he's very high on draft boards. And I'm like, what? Why? I don't get it. But I don't understand the NBA. I will be upfront about that. I will not be one of those people that tries to like, ooh, I under, I'm an amateur NBA scout. I understand what they want. I don't. I cover college basketball. And they are increasingly very, very different animals. Yes. And that's the thing, too. So it's like, yeah, when I heard that he could go like in the mid first round, I'm like, what? They run sharp. I was like, who says that? Well, you know, there was a uh, Sam Williamson for Louisville had a nice year and he really developed an, a yes. kind of a nice niche role for Louisville as a zone killer. As Louisville was such a bad three point shooting team, they saw more and more and more two, three zones. And Sam became really nice at sort of working that inside of a zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember Chris Mack after a game saying, you know, Sam's really developed into an elite mid-range shooter. And that's exactly what he called him. And I remember thinking to myself, an NBA dude would laugh at that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah. he's right. I'm saying NBA right. dudes are turds. But like he, they would. They would be like, well, it's like NFL people with running backs. Same thing. It's like threes, defense, and and dunk. And that's, yes. And I get Alabama. it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And absolutely is Alabama. Um so yeah, that and then we get to Florida State as the four in UNTG. Oh, the fight in West Miller. Um, yeah, they're really they're really good. Yeah, yes. Um, but I just I I do I think Florida State can probably play a sloppy-ish game and get away with it and probably get to the second weekend unless Georgetown just maintains that hotness that they had but this is a good this is overall i think a good draw for them but they have I think to it's, a fan, it's a fantastic draw for them uh, colorado i mean just lost to oregon state you know in the pac-12 yeah. tournament and and i have a it might you know the you know the analytics might not back it up whatever it is but like i know every person has their own bracket idiosyncrasies mine i fade pac-12 teams always i just did yeah. yes uh, yes Michigan without Isaiah Livers is, I think, is a very different team. Uh, Florida State could really not have to just strain and find itself in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I love, uh, you know, LSU had a nice season, but I think that, I think the Bonnies 
um, my St. My St. Bonaventure Bonnies that I put in my final top 25. I think they might have they might have some upset energy, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they they could make some noise here, but they got. I mean, they had 25 turnovers against Georgia Tech, and they they played with their food again against North Carolina. They got away with it. Yeah, but but I, I was incredulous to see after that North Carolina yet again had one of the worst first halves imaginable against them that they just continued to not stretch their, their lead out. And I'm like, y'all have learned nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they got away with it because they made plays and they're so good defensively. They just are. But their offense was really humming at the beginning of this year. I think if MJ Walker can get back a little healthier, that'll help them a lot. But it seemed like from Florida State, people were telling me he wasn't completely right. And I think that contributed to some of their, their, their stumbles down the stretch. So hopefully he can be okay. I also think with Florida State, uh, come tournament time, other teams like around the ACC will tell you like at first, like you have to, they are an experience. Like you walk out on the floor and you're like, Holy yep. crap. These are the monsters. Like, this is crazy. Armando just, you know, these guys are- almost exactly like that. He's like, you haven't, he's like, even if you just played them, there is an adjustment period. He's like, yeah. And I would imagine, you know, a, a team like Greensboro doesn't see a lot of that no. uh, or anybody that they're going to play. Uh, in, in perhaps in these first couple of rounds is going to have to at least work through walking out there and be like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Because I think Florida State does do that to you. Yeah, they do. And and yeah, because they switch, like what Baycott said too, is they switch everything and it, and there's no drop-off, there's no mismatch because they're all so good and long and athletic and it's 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 an adjustment. And, and you know, you, you saw, you've seen that play out with North Carolina certainly in, in all three of their meetings with them really in the first half, especially, but yeah, it, it's an adjustment And North Carolina for whatever reason decided let's keep driving into the teeth of that defense and hoping for the best. But yeah, the, that gets us to North Carolina. The, the best analogy I think I heard John Manuel, he's a Carolina guy, like Carolina, but he's a college baseball guy. Um, that's where probably a, a lot of people know him and major league baseball too. Um, but he tweeted that he thought Caleb Love would make a great release pitcher. He tweeted that. I don't know if he tweeted it to me or to him or just to everyone, but I was like, that is an amazing analogy because he has no memory of his previous bad plays. <laughs> yeah, or a corner. Yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Like, it's just, yeah. he just, you know, and, and I think yeah. both of North Carolina's freshman guards have that a little bit. We saw RJ Davis really have some nice games. Um, but, you know, Caleb Love is just so, I mean, he dribbled it off his foot in the Florida State game to turn it over. And I was like, we are in March. You should not be doing that. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, but that's, you know, that's, you gotta have, you, Roy Williams and North Carolina have no choice but to take the good with the bad when it comes to that right. backcourt. They don't have a lot of alternatives. They don't have any alternatives. Um, unless you put Leaky Black at point and then you kind of take away a lot of what Leaky brings to the table. So, you know, they're just going to have to hope for the best. And, and I know Roy was saying he was not happy with how much they were turning over in practice because Wisconsin's not going to give you a lot of possessions. I know some people feel good about Carolina in terms of like their chances to make a C-16. And Roy Williams has never lost in the first round, which is in and of itself an absurd streak, by the way. <laughs> Considering uh, everyone, everyone has one that they yeah, booed. Everyone. And, and I, I, I do, I have a weird feeling that this could be the year. Um, because I don't like this matchup for them. I know some people disagree with me. I know Wisconsin's not an amazing team, but this is not the type of team you want to play if you don't have ball security. Well, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic point. I, I think that the challenge for me thinking about Carolina is there's, 
know, they're one of these teams where like it's very there's very little carryover like from game to game. I think you just sort of, all right, here are the inputs. Let's see how it turns out every time. Yeah, I mean, almost the only consistent thing for them is that they will get their own misses. Whether they score off of them is another story, but that's really the only consistent thing for them from game to game. But, you know, Carolina also has something similar uh, to what we were just saying about Florida State, where you don't play lots of teams. You don't play many teams who who intentionally uh, and, and under control play as fast as they do combined with teams that still play a traditional four and five mm-hmm. and like getting up the floor that fast and getting in position to sort of keep these two monsters and they have four, you know, from, from getting offensive rebounds, that too is, is something that uh, there's an adjustment period to it. Uh, Louisville was not ready. Like they were post COVID, no. but still the style of play is, is a problem for teams. And, you know, Wisconsin's going to, I think play slowly, probably keep them from being able to highlight that too much. But if you're not ready, like you can blink and be down 12 to Carolina and they're not even playing that great. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, and like I said, if their freshman guards are feeling it, they can beat almost anybody. If they're not, they can lose almost anybody. It's really that simple for them. Um, And, you know, we saw with the Marquette loss, which I think is in and of itself alone, what kept them out of the final top 25. It's what kept them probably from sneaking up into a seven seed spot. Um, you know, but they got their extra game and I guess. What an odd there. year. That Marquette loss. What a weird year. It really has been. And I know it's been like frustrating for Roy Williams, but you know, it's, it, it, he's certainly given these, the freshmen a lot of freedom. I know he doesn't have a lot of choice, but he's, he's let them do their thing. And you know, uh, I, 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 it's been crazy to watch because you usually see an arc for most of these guys and there really hasn't been one. It's been up and down and up and down and for the freshmen anyway. And it, and it's crazy to watch like those freshman guards just continue to not blink and, and try to make a play and not have not always do the smart thing, but still be confident in what they're doing. When you watch like a Walker Kessler who has like one bad play and, and is hanging his head and like shaking his head at himself. Like <laughs> it's quite the disparity even among their freshmen in terms of like how they treat when they're not playing well. Wild. I also want to just say that uh, in a year that was, you know, extremely uh, bottom line, big picture oriented, bigger things in life than sports and all that sort of thing, every little lighthearted moment that that was so enjoyable, yeah. I treasured them a little bit more. And there are very few things funnier than Tyler Hansborough saying, oh, Walker Kessler looks like a guy who doesn't know where to get a haircut. Like that was amazing. Just it was amazing. amazing. And Walker is is very, when we get him in post game, he's wonderful. He's very self-deprecating and and funny, and he made some own jokes at his own expense. And, and but yeah, he—it's it, just—it's—it's it's wild. Like, and seeing them play in person helped illuminate that for me too. It's not something you can get a good sense of on television. Um, but the, those freshman guards are like genuinely unfazed. And then you see Armando Baycott out there rolling his eyes at his teammates half the time, which you get that too. Like you understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then and then you'll you know, but you don't see that stuff on TV. You know, you have to see it in person to see it. Um, and it was really cool to be able to do that and also get a sense of just how enormous FSU is in person. Um, it's like, it's crazy, but yeah. So who knows what North Carolina will do? I don't feel, I, I don't how feel many, right. to do anything. Big picture. How many teams, how many ACC teams are playing in the sweet 16 and who are they in your mind? I think Florida state. So that's one. Same. Yep. Ah. <sighs> uh, it might be about it, to be honest. I really kind of think that's it. I know you were saying Clemson. 
I don't know. I think Clemson has a chance. Yeah, it's not it's not crazy to me to think that they because it, it depends if Houston is is phony or propped up at least by the AAC. I certainly think Clemson uh, could be a candidate there, and I I don't think they're great. I would pick. Well, Georgia Tech is that's tough. I mean, they're, I, I really love the way they were playing, but I mean, I'll ask you this: what, just because uh, they are almost like by nature contrarian, does it seem crazy to you that Syracuse could just make a ton of threes and and beat San Diego State and, and West Virginia? I have been considering that. Yes, I actually though I feel like San Diego State, and this is partially because I've been getting emails from their SID um, all year. I think they might have that classic, like, disrespected energy. And that's a team that when you look at them, and Bayon said it the other day, they don't have a lot of statistical weaknesses, if any. Um, and they do have that clear, like, we're not, no one's respecting us energy. But I, I'm i like you in that I'm a little hesitant with West Coast teams sometimes. And you know what Syracuse can do. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's tough. I could see. It would not shock me, though. No. It would shock me less than like Georgia Tech making the Super Bowl, which I think has no chance. You know, just first glance, if I set the over under teams playing in the second weekend at one and a half, I I'd be inclined to go under. Yeah, I probably would too if I'm like betting money on it. I yeah. certainly wouldn't bet confidently. Like I couldn't tell you definitely these two. I if you said two and a half, I would absolutely go under. Yeah, like that's not a question. If you said one and a half, I would think about it because I would be like, mm, maybe somebody does something, you know? But like Virginia Tech, I don't even like them in their first game um, against Florida. Um, I mean, who knows? They could win it, I guess. I, I, this is just this is just where the Hokies find themselves. I mean, it is what it is, and they have just had so little experience in games in the last month. I just, I, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Um, and I also, across from them, I hate that the nation's leading scorer um, for Oral Roberts is they got relegated to a 15. Like, I get it. But I was like, oh, man, I would have liked to have seen him potentially hang around for a minute. Um, yeah. But that, that is what it is. But, yeah, I don't like Virginia Tech. To, I, I, you know, Virginia Tech, I think, will lose early. Clemson, yeah, I, I hope Clemson can win at least one. That would be nice to see. And that would validate a lot about their season because I think that they've deserved more respect and they've gotten consistently this whole year. I think Clemson, unfortunately, got saddled with their how poor they looked in their first four post-COVID games. Yeah. Uh, and team people were – they're one of those teams. I think people are like, I don't have to think about them now. Like, they, okay, they're, my binary thinking about them is right. I don't think about them anymore. And they actually rebounded pretty nicely after that. Yeah, they did. And the, and the thing is, when you look at their resume and who they beat, like, it, you actually go, why are they not ranked higher? Yeah. You know? Like, it, it it just feels wrong on so many levels. I know Ken Palm doesn't love them, and I get it. Their offense is bad. Like, it's bad. Um, and But they managed to make it work enough sometimes. I mean, look, they've beaten Georgia Tech, Syracuse, um, Louisville, obviously. I mean, those are at home, but still, NC State, um, they beat FSU. Those are all at home, so maybe they don't get as much credit. I don't know, but they beat my, they beat Maryland, they beat Alabama, they beat Purdue. You know, like those are all teams in the field. Like, I don't yeah. know. I, I, you know, and they've only got seven losses. The Miami again. Miami just ruined a lot for not having a very consequential season. Miami set a lot of things ablaze, and they almost did to North Carolina as well because they that was the one possession game and one of the ugliest basketball games I've watched in quite some time. 
Well, that's my that's the only way Miami can really can win is to sort of lure everybody into a game like that. Yeah, I know. You know, somebody reminded me like Virginia Tech NC State was not that long ago. That forty something to you know whatever that game final ended up being. You remember that game where State like just could not make any shot. Oh yeah. It was actually I think the oh when was it twenty sixteen seventeen maybe seventeen let's see uh. No, it was, it had to have been 16, I think, because I think they might have beaten Duke, or they played a good game against North Carolina not that long before it or something, but they just literally could not make a basket in that basketball game. It was completely wild. Um, and that, but even that was like almost more entertaining because of its artfulness. Like you don't see anything like that. And it was wild how many shots they were missing. It was like, how is this even possible? Um, but the Carolina Miami game is just hideous on every level imaginable. Um, I won't forget it very soon. For sure. <laughs> that was pretty, pretty bad. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all the ACC teams. And again, I, I, like the Big Ten earned it, but like Wisconsin being a nine, I don't love. Just this, again, it's like college football in the sense that like the, the elite teams in each league in each league are elite, but that doesn't mean that the, you know, lesser teams are superior just by virtue of playing against those good teams. Yeah, schedule, a tough schedule doesn't make you good. I, I totally agree uh, with that. And it will be, it is kind of interesting, you know, uh, Big Ten teams, like I never ever, ever pick a Big Ten team to win title because they don't. And this is a historically great year for the Big Ten. They're not going to win the title. Gonzaga's going to win the title. Like, well, that's how it's going to go. I wonder, because isn't it since Michigan State won it, that was their last title, right? So that's yeah, yeah. 21 years ago. I and wonder, Michigan before that. I wonder how much scrutiny the, the league starts to get. It's, it's an entire tournament being held in Indianapolis with apparently very bad Wi-Fi, as Armando Baycott told us yesterday, because it's not <laughs> his gaming system. And then also Roy froze three times during the Zoom presser, which has not happened because they've been using Ethernet. Um, and they didn't have Ethernet to use. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah uh and, and uh yeah they've been they're all in indianapolis though that's big Ten country like you have all these high seeds you have a bunch of teams that could win it i mean i know gonzaga is otherworldly but like i wonder if at a certain point we don't start scrutinizing the big 10 a little bit more closely and saying like all right like it's cool that you guys have all these good teams sometimes but some of them might want to win the title Oh, listen, I, I think if they, especially if, if they don't have a great year, you yeah. know, like if, if, if it, some of these teams not only don't win the title, but sort of flame out early, I think they're going to be, you're, I mean, it's been a historically great year for that league, but people are going to roast them if these teams don't also perform in the tournament, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, deservedly so. Right, totally. yeah. 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 And I mean, I think if you, if there's not, at least one big team, ten team in the final four. It should be, it should get a lot of attention. I like Illinois personally. Oh, me too. I have them in the title game. I was not sold on them earlier in the year, and as the years gone on, I think it was actually the Wisconsin game when they were I forget who they were who was injured in that game, but they took Wisconsin's like best shot down the stretch of that game. I think it was Trice for Wisconsin was making every three pointer in sight. And they still just stood tall and won. And I'm like, all right, you know what? I see it. I think I get it. Like, I think I really understand now what this team's about. And they, I like that team. I have them um, getting to the national title game, I believe. Yeah, me too. I like that team quite a bit. So we, we shall see. And um, 
I'm just, I'm, who knows what next year will bring, right? I know this was not a very good year in the ACC in general, um, but I don't anticipate that will last all that long, but who knows? Well, I certainly think uh, locally, at least, I think Louisville's uh, Chris Mack, I think, feels the heat after kind of the disappointment at the end of this year. Uh, Ooh, I wouldn't it, be. Does it hurt more that, like, I know Patino, whatever, we all understand that, but does it hurt more that he made it? <laughs> it, it doesn't help, you know. Right. Uh, and I think if you're wondering about, like, if that matters, I mean, he, Chris Mack is perpetually sort of bombarded by questions about being a pack line team and the slow pace they played at this year. And he actually sort of made like a passive aggressive Patino reference in his season ending press conference. So, like, it's pretty obvious it's gotten back to him, you know, uh, about that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was a couple of things that sort of compounded the disappointment of not making it. It was a year where Kentucky hilariously didn't make it. I mean, we're not even a tournament team, uh, not even close to being even a bubble nope. team. And you, you don't even really get to to pick on them for that either. So it was lots of missed opportunities this year for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, we never like to miss an opportunity to have you on. Oh, wow. You know, an attempt at a, at a, at a poor good thing. I'm, you know, I'm not. It never, ever, never feels like work. And it always goes by incredibly fast, though. And I know. Goes, so anytime. I was going to say, like, yeah, it's, 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 always, it's always fun. And I. I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's still been weird. I wrote about it for WRLSportsFan.com about the strangeness of covering this season and the fact that there's a literal National Guard vaccination site um, within walking distance of the Coliseum and players were potentially having their seasons and careers in some cases ended because, you know, like in Virginia's case, almost, you know, with Jay, with uh, Virginia and the, their COVID cases and in Duke's case, I mean, they weren't going to make it probably, but they still didn't, they didn't get to do it on their own. You know, they yeah. didn't get to have the last words about whether or not they would. And they've worked this whole season and it could just end like that. And like, literally there's a vaccination site right down the street, but they can't get it. Cause Oh no, that would be such a treatment, you know? Yep. <laughs> it's all very silly um, and feels very strange, but thankfully, hopefully this year gets, done and we all go back to something resembling normality because this year in college basketball especially has been very odd and I didn't like it. <laughs> well, and uh, you know, just to, as we wrap things up here, like college basketball without question uh, most depends on the traditional elements, the crowd elements, the emotional element to make the product as compelling on TV as it is normally like for us like junkies, yeah. we love it all but like you know, it, Louisville and Kentucky was like 62-59. It was a it was a horrible game. Yep. But like you put the crowd in there, it was a great game, and you're exhausted yep. when it was over, and you're glad you watched it. Like it need, college basketball badly needs fans back there next year, and hopefully it's it's safe to do that. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, Mark, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark Ennis, uh, and uh, every weekday three to six on ninety three nine The Ville, uh, we we break all of this down uh, and more and more. Anytime you need me, I'm here for you. Oh, I love to hear that. Thank you. And I believe my son is playing with the toilet, so I have to run. But that's a nightmare. <laughs> that's a super fun time. All right. Until next week, everybody. Bye.